We're giving everything by the cross we've overcome. Hello and welcome to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We are going to be studying in the book of Jonah. So Jonah is a very interesting book. A lot of people are familiar with it just because um, I think many people when they were kids were told the story of Jonah and the whale. Um, and it's kind of a watered down version of what is actually here. And a lot of people tend to associate Jonah with, you know, the children's story. But we're going to correct that if that's the case. And uh, we're going to present Jonah as God has presented Jonah. Jonah is probably one of the most significant uh, books in the Bible for various reasons. But um, I can see why um, Satan would want to kind of water this down and make it seem kind of trivial, just like the um, Adam and Eve story. Um, very watered down and made to be trivial. But both of these accounts with Adam and Eve, the very beginning of man, and also this <clears throat> account of Jonah have a very weighty and um, powerful uh, implications based on the truths that are presented here, not only for Jonah, the prophet, but also for all of those people that every Gentile that would be saved uh, subsequent to the presentation of this this prophecy's experience. And that's what this is. It's not necessarily a prophecy, even though he is a prophet. It's more of a story, an account of an experience that he had with God. But in that experience, God has also set forth some very prophetic things. So just try to, I'll try to point that out as we come to it, but it's very interesting the way God works. And this entire book uh, speaks of providence. Uh, it talks about God's uh, purpose and plan for the future as well as for the present. And most, uh, one of the best ways to look at scripture particularly Old Testament prophecy in uh, Old Testament scripture is it has a current application for the people involved at that time. And then there's kind of a far view application that applies to all people who would uh, be associated with God because the, the entire Bible is the book of God and it, the Bible is basically an, uh, explanation, an expression of God's purpose, his will, his intent. Um, and, and our response should be always to glorify him. And that will be our response. Either we will glorify him in salvation, in receiving his grace, or we will glorify him in judgment, receiving his judgment. But either way, God is going to be glorified. So with that said, let's get into Jonah. I'm not going to talk a lot about the history of the book, but because I think as we go through this letter, this book, I should say, we're going to see some of those aspects as we go through it. And I'll try to bring out as much as I'm able to as we go through it. Now, it's it's a pretty small book. It's only four chapters, but there is so much information in these four chapters 
and um, I'm not going to be able to bring out everything, but I'll, like I said, do the best I can with the information that I have so far. So uh, I'm reading from the King James Version, um, Book of Jonah, starting from verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So very simply, this is how it starts. <clears throat> Jonah is presumably in his hometown, and um, and we know that from uh, things that are said later in the book. And God calls him. He gives him this calling to act, to go and minister uh, to Nineveh. It says that he's to arise, so he was clearly reclining. Go to Nineveh, very simple instruction. So get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, uh, and cry against it. So I think that's the that's the message that he was supposed to go cry against Nineveh because it says for their wickedness is come up before me. So we have to understand the the way God presents himself and how that he views mankind and um, the world as we know it. There's always a center point. And then from that center point. He kind of judges or looks at mankind from the center point outward. And the center point is always going to start with where he is worshipped. So in this case, he was worshipped here in Israel. That's where the temple was or the tabernacle. And that's where God was worshipped. And so that was the testimony of his presence. So... He will judge people based on their relationship positionally, physically, as well as their uh, relationship in general to where he's worshipped. And the closer you are to that point of worship, the more uh, accountability there is. You have more you have access to more of his truth. More about him, so he's going to judge you accordingly. And so this seems to be the method. So now Nineveh, which was north of Jerusalem, has uh, they have a they have a they have a proximity relationship to um, to Israel, and so God is saying their wickedness has come up before me. So. The picture is, is that, you know, there's wickedness everywhere, but depending on your proximity to the center point of, of where God has placed his testimony, that's going to determine how soon or the length of time it takes for your sin to be judged. And this is uh, consistent throughout the scripture and even in the... Um, millennial kingdom 
Because it says at that time that Israel will be a light upon a hill and that all people will come to Israel to get the truth. And people will look for, you know, an Israelite and say, hey, take me to Israel so that I can worship God. Because at that time, the Lord Jesus will be, his presence will be physically in um, in the temple, the millennial temple. And he will be, you know, I presume... Uh, very accessible to everyone in Israel who who uh, live there, and because um, it, I mean, he there's scriptures that say that he'll have conversations with them. So, so here we see that same principle at play, but um, here in this dispensation that Jonah lived in. So that's the picture. So we have to keep that in mind, and that's still true today that. Um, now, instead of Israel being that center point, God has made each believer to be a temple and he has placed his spirit in all the believers and Christians. And so we become that center point wherever we are. So, you know, where there's two or more um, of us in the same place, you know, he says he's there with us. He's there also. So. The, the idea is that we are now mobile temples. We're like a tabernacle and we're walking around and the people who are around us are going to be held accountable for their relationship to us and to the truth that we present to them. So it's uh, very interesting to see. But that's what's being said here. That's what he says. Now, back to the <laughs> Jonah. Jonah is told that Nineveh which Nineveh was a pretty wicked city. I mean, these were the Amorites. They were known as very cruel, brutal uh, people. And they would do very cruel things to the people that they captured. And they were pretty much hated because of their cruelty, but they were also feared. Um, and so uh, God says, it's time for me to deal with these people. So the picture we have of God that he's given of himself is as a judge of the universe, because that's what he is. Uh, the nation Israel has been placed as his chosen vessel to witness of his power and presence to the world. That was their ministry uh, back in this time, and that will be their ultimate ministry in the millennial kingdom. So God had Israel to be a light on a hill, an example of um, one of the roles of Israel uh, and by application also believers as I said in the church age is that Israel is the apple of God's eye his chosen so you may not feel like you're the apple of God's eye sometimes because it may seem like everybody is um coming against you because you're making a stand for what's right regardless of where you are you may be in school you may be at home in your home making that stand you may be at work um, or in your neighborhood regardless of where you are you are a witness and a testimony for the Lord Jesus and God will judge others based on their relationship to you so it's very important that we understand that this is just a, a continuation 
of God's purpose and plan for his people that began with the nation Israel. And now we in the church age have this same responsibility. So to give you an idea of how God feels about the nation Israel and the relationship of other people to the nation Israel, I wanted to just point out a verse in Zechariah. Uh, one of the visions, actually the first vision that Zechariah, Zechariah had um, of these several visions that he would have in one night, um, one of them was a vision of horses, starting in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7, and I'm going to read it. Upon the 4 and 20th day, of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were red horses, speckled horses, and white. Then said I, O Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be, is what I have. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So the picture is, is that Zechariah is getting this revelation. And that in the, this angel, which we know to be the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, is showing him these things. And then he sees these uh, men on horses and he asks, well, what, are, what is this? And so then one of the men on the horses starts to speak and tell him and says, these are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So basically God has sent these um, men on horses to go through the earth to, for a purpose. And verse 11, and they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro through the earth and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest, which initially sounds like a good thing, right? We we like for everybody to be at rest because we certainly don't see a lot of rest in the world today with wars and everything that's going on. Verse 12, then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? So this is speaking of the 70 years uh, of captivity in Babylon. Verse 13, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comforting words. And the angel uh, communed with me and said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And this is uh, why we are the apple of his eye, the nation Israel as well as all believers. Verse 15 is the key to this point. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased and and they help forward the affliction. So basically the Lord is upset because all the nations in Israel, uh, all the nations, uh, the heathen nations, forgive me, um, they are at peace 
while the nation Israel is in captivity. And God says, I was a little angry with them, but now I'm even more angry because they're at peace because he judges others, other nations, other people in relationship to his people. And that's something that I think we need to understand. And that's why uh, Nineveh has now become, uh, their wickedness has come up before him. So this is the place of Jerusalem at the time of Jonah's call to this particular ministry, that God is looking upon them and he is upset. He's angered by the way the other nations treat uh, or the decisions that are made and how they treat the nation Israel or they're, even if they ignore the nation Israel. Um, they're the apple of his eye. And he established that by taking them from Egypt and bringing them into the land. And everyone knew of that. And so that was for everyone to take notice that these were his people. So now we have uh, become that, that we've become a part of that relationship. We've been grafted in uh, to that relationship of God and his people uh, as part of the church. And God will judge people based on how they treat us and the relationship we have with them. So it's important for us to always manifest God's grace and mercy and the fruit of the spirit to everyone that we encounter because they need it. Um, they need it. They need our ministry. They need the grace to come from us because the judgment that's coming is severe. So you would think in light of this call that uh, Jonah would be excited. You know, he's going to get to minister on behalf of the Lord and that he'd like embrace that opportunity. Um, God says in scripture that angels are his ministers of fire. You know, that's repeated. I think it's in the Psalms, but it's also repeated in Hebrews uh, that we've been studying. And so th this is the ministry of angels. You know, they they are powerful and they respond immediately to his call and they're obedient. They get excited and embrace the role that they have of service. Uh, all the angels, the elect angels that didn't fall, they couldn't fall. It was impossible. And they have an attitude of worship. Uh, they see it as a privilege to be called on and they get excited to be able to serve the Lord. But here we see why mankind is so different from any of the Lord's creation. Man can be under the loving care of God uh, and still rebel against him. And this is why angels, it says in scripture that, you know, these some things that even angels uh, long to look into, like they wonder about because they can't understand that. And, you know, if we put ourselves in the perspective of God, if we are walking in the spirit, it's pretty shocking to us. You know, it's shocking to us that that we are able or capable to do that, that God would call us and care for us and provide for us. And we can still rebel against him. This is the sinfulness of sin. So while we're enjoying the peace of his 
watch care and his provision, we can still disobey him. This is the failing of mankind. This is the effects of sin. As we eat the fruit of his kindness, we can ignore his commands. This condition is a symptom of the sin that so easily besets us. That's what Hebrews says. So Jonah, Jonah was not exempt from this, this problem. He, he, he dealt with this problem as well. Jonah, you know, a prophet of God, you know, of his chosen people, he's still plagued by this same insanity. That's the only thing you can call it. So how do I know this? Am I just reaching? Am I just, you know, is this, am I reaching or is this something that I can support? Well, I know it because of the account of verse 3. Um, in verse 3, we see the problem for Jonah and for me and you. Um, it's verses like this that settle the questions of mankind. You know, these great questions of great consequence. And I use the word great because uh, God used the word great to describe Nineveh. And I thought that's appropriate because this great city uh, was full of uh, great men and women um, who had great questions of great consequence. Uh, but they, their greatness was apart from God. And so that's what that's the problem. They saw themselves as great. Other people saw them as great. But it was a greatness that was apart from God. And so it really wasn't great at all. All it was was great sin. So Nineveh, that great city. I think that's interesting. And I just kind of meditated on that for a while. So Nineveh was at the time great. It was great in number, great in power, great in fame. A lot of people knew of them. They feared them because of their cruelty and they were like any great city or great nation. They were Assyrians who had the same sin problem as Jonah. That's what I find interesting is that God has called upon Jonah who has the same problem with sin as these people. And that's grace. That is the grace of God that he will call upon a man to minister unto men. Because you think about it. When, if, if your evil has come up before God, you need representation. You know, none of us could appear before God and live. So we need an advocate. We need human representation who is able, uh, kind of a go-between, like Job said. Someone who had one foot on the side of the righteous and the holy God and one foot on the side of mankind and mankind's problems. So God called Jonah for this purpose. Now the Assyrians through Israel knew God. They not only knew God through Israel, but they also knew of God because back in this time, they were not so far away from um, the witness, the oral history of God as we are. They didn't have a problem back then with not knowing or believing that there was a God. That wasn't their problem. Their problem was that 
they were introduced with what poly, polytheism, I think is what it's called, with multiple gods, where they started worshiping idols. But they weren't so far gone that they didn't know who the one true God was. They knew of the one true God. They knew of his power and of his presence. But, you know, it was just a lot more comforting to go with those uh, idols, man. They were way more forgiving in the sense that they let you do whatever you wanted. And they were kind of there for you when you need them. They're kind of a good luck charm or a, hey, I got a problem, come get me out kind of God. And that's the kind of guys that they wanted. And that's the kind of guys that they leaned to. But they knew that there was one true God that was the creator of all. And that Israel was the representative of that God, that he that they were his chosen people. Uh, so they they knew God, yet they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what happens is that, um, you know, if you don't acknowledge God or and worship him in the way that he has established to be worshiped, then we tend towards darkness. That's where we go. That's what happens. Our foolish hearts are darkened, meaning that we become for we go further and further away from God and his light. So as a result, the righteousness of God comes into play. Here we see where God interjects himself into the plight of man. These Assyrians have uh, turned away. Their foolish hearts have been darkened and they are being eaten alive by sin. And they've gotten to the point to where they don't even, they're not even conscious of it. It's kind of like, yeah, so that's what we do. Um, and that's what, that's what a darkened heart will do. It becomes less and less conscious of the guilt of sin and the penalty of sin. And God could easily leave us in that place. But God is merciful and he has compassion upon men and he does not want that for us. And over and over again, that's the message of scripture. Over and over again, that's the message is that, you know, these are the sins that are eating you alive. It's like um, leprosy. You know, it's such a good picture of sin. It's just eating you alive. And you're, you're slowly deteriorating until you just, you know, your limbs and everything just fall off into uh, destruction. And God doesn't just sit back and watch that happen to people or to nations. He interjects his grace uh, for the purpose of delivering men from this terrible condition that we find ourselves in. So that was the condition of Nineveh and it had come up to God and he decided that it was time in his purpose and plan to deal with Nineveh. Uh, the Lord had weighed Nineveh in the balances and they were sorely lacking. Notice the grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus as he calls upon his servant Jonah, one who was you know, not a minister of fire, but of flesh and blood, just like the Ninevites were. And Jesus sends Jonah to deliver this very important message that their sin had come up to him 
and it was time for him to deal with um, with the Ninevites. He says, Arise, Jonah, as I have a message for Nineveh uh, that you've been handpicked by the Lord himself to deliver. So we know because of the accounts of uh, others that have been chosen to deliver messages by God, you know, from prophets to apostles. This is a very purposeful selection by God. And Jonah certainly was no exception. God chose Jonah for a reason. And throughout this account, I hope that we're able to see that why God chose Jonah in particular. And I think that it's important for us to kind of keep that in the back of our mind. Um, God could have his witness uh, to be anyone or anything, any part of his creation can witness to his power and his purpose. Uh, we've seen the blood of the righteous Abel call out. And he even said that rocks, uh, he could have rocks cry out of his to witness to his righteousness and his power. Um, and there's even a count of a donkey who um, starts speaking with a man's voice to witness on behalf of God. So God can choose anything he wants. So the fact that he would choose Jonah is because there's a particular purpose. And if God has chosen you, you have that same place in his um, sight. God chooses whom he chooses. And there's always a reason for it and a purpose behind it. So if God has chosen you and called you to his, by his grace into salvation, there's a purpose. You have a purpose. And we are responsible as believers, those of us who are saved, to find out what that purpose is. If you're unsaved and you're listening, the purpose for you is to learn of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's able to save you. That's your purpose. But those of us who are saved, we've moved beyond that, and now we have work that must be done, a calling um, that is to be fulfilled, and we're, we're told to work our salvation outwardly. And that means that we are to identify the purpose that God has for us and we are to manifest his grace to others. Um, and he will lead and guide each person in, as to how that's to be done. Maybe different for you than it is for me. Uh, people are called to different things. So the main thing is to find out. So here we have Jonah, a prophet who's been called to this particular ministry to Nineveh. Um, this time, you know, we see as opposed to rocks or a donkey, um, this message was for his prophet Jonah. In verse three, we're going to see the response of Jonah to this call. So this is what I think is interesting. And, and I alluded to this earlier in verse three, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So, you know, God has called him to this uh, ministry and he immediately does the opposite of what God called him to do. Rather than to be 
respond positively to divine revelation, Jonah decides to respond negatively. So we know that if that happens, Jonah is not doing this in faith because the definition of faith is to respond positively to divine revelation. So Jonah responds negatively. He says he rose up to flee under Tarshish, which is way south. Nineveh is north, Tarshish is way south. So he is not acting in faith. So now this story, the plot kind of thickens, <laughs> which I find this account thrilling. I mean, the more I read it, the more exciting it becomes. So I just think it's amazing. And I think a lot of it is because I can identify with Jonah on so many levels. So how do we explain what's happening? You know, God says, go north. He goes south. How do we explain that? Um, Jonah rose up to flee under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God calls him to witness this honor, this great privilege. Um, but instead of embracing that, he goes the opposite direction. To me, that's that's just very interesting. So this, ver this verse bears a striking resemblance, I think, to another one that gives us some valuable insight into what's actually going on in the mind of the prophet. And that verse is, says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Uh, and that's in Genesis 3.8. So I think the same thing is happening here. Now, the circumstances are very different, but I think the root cause, uh, the, the root motivation is the same. Um, and I think it's what we can call uh, an axiom of scripture, and it'll help us understand a lot of things. We understand the motivation of the people uh, in, in the Bible, the people of the past and how that's consistent with our same motivations. We can understand ourselves and we can understand and see a lot of why we do the things that we do. Um, and it could be a lot of times it's linked back to sin. So we see this truth or axiom of scripture that sin in the life of God's people separates us from the blessing of service and fellowship. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. Once sin, once they had eaten of the um, tree of, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were self-aware in a way that caused them to understand and know sin. And they attempted to cover themselves. And immediately they didn't want to be around God. Sin had separated them from the presence, from the joy and the blessing of being in the presence of God. And that's the same thing that I believe that's happening to Jonah. There's a sin in Jonah that's causing him to say, I'm not going to do what you said, God. I'm going to do just the opposite. And I think it's important for us to pause for a moment and really do some self-examination because in these accounts, which God says that the reason that he had these particular accounts to be preserved in scripture was for our benefit in this time, in this age. 
we need to kind of look and see how that the see ourselves in these actions and see the consequence and the effects of sin in our lives that sin separates us from the blessing and the fellowship that is in the Lord Jesus Christ those of us who are saved there is no other or greater blessing than to know the Lord Jesus to know his presence to have his grace in our lives his the comfort like uh, we saw in Zechariah, he spoke good and comforting words. That's what he gives. He only gives us good and blessing. But why would we ever turn from that? You know, it's because of sin. And it's the same thing that's happening. It's what happened with our original parents, Adam and Eve. It's what happened with is happening in this account with Jonah and the Lord Jesus sacrificed everything he gave himself as the lamb that takes away the sin of the people because the the terrible effects of this sin that plagues us and so here we see that and we have to understand that that's a part of our lives that's the kind of struggle that we have even in the church age that we have the god the holy spirit this new heart that he's given us that beats for god but we still have that old nature and um, our, we are progressively called to sanctification uh, to God says, be holy because I'm holy. And that's that's our intent. That should be our focus and our direction. Otherwise, we end up in positions like Adam and Eve. We end up in a position like now what we're seeing with Jonah. So. That's the um, that's the truth of the situation. That that's what's happening with Jonah. He's going, based on verse three, he's going in the opposite direction. It says that, uh, but Jonah rose up to flee. Why would you flee from God? To flee under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. Uh, the trajectory is definitely going down. You see that word over and over. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship that was going to Tarshish. That was very convenient. It's funny how that um, when we are in rebellion and sin, things seem to kind of go our way to encourage us to continue in sin. Um, because that's the direction of the world. Once we jump on that uh, algorithm, we can just flow right with it. But... We cannot continue on that path without consequence because we're not of the world. Um, so he found this, uh, he went down to Joppa, which was south, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, which is further south. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. So he even went down deep into the vessel to go with them. So this was a ship of uh, that had other people on it, unto Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. That was his intent. That was what Jonah wanted to do. The intent of Jonah was to be as far away from the Lord as possible. We know that um, Jonah was not at all desirable for the Ninevites to hear the message of God's judgment. But why? Right? Why is it? We know that that's the reason why he 
rebelled against God. But why didn't he want them to hear this? I mean, why wouldn't he want to take that message? It's just, it's very interesting to me. Um, for, I think for one thing, Nineveh was a city of Gentiles. And we know throughout scripture how the nation Israel felt about Gentiles. He referred to them as Gentile dogs. Um, Gentiles were thought of by the Jews as the lowest, the most sinful kind of people or person was a Gentile because, you know, they didn't know God. They did a lot of things that uh, God had warned and instructed the Jews not to do. And so the Jews felt like that they knew better than everyone else. And to some extent they did, but it did not exalt them or protect them from the effects of sin in their own lives. God had told them to come into the land of promise. God told the Jews to take it, destroy the Gentiles that were there. I believe it was the, um, I'm not even going to try to guess which race of people, but I remember that uh, there was a race of people there that uh, God said, everybody in there, destroy, right? Um, and I'll look that up and uh, make sure I correct myself. But he had them destroy all the people that were in the land because their sin had finally come up to him. He told um, Abraham that, yeah, I'm going to give you this land, but I can't give it to you right now because uh, I believe it's the Amorites. Um he said, I can't give it to you right now because their sin has not been complete. So their sin had not yet fulfilled, been fulfilled and come up to him. So he said, once that happened, it corresponded with the time for the people to go into the land. And the people went into the land and they destroyed everything. Man, woman, child, everyone. And so you can see how that would give the Jews is kind of complex to make them think, well, we must be far better than them that we can come in and take the land. And God has exalted us over all these nations, which he did. And he, God had a purpose in doing that and to use them as a ministry, as a testimony to who he is, his power, his grace. But you know, that's not how they always, they took it. They took it as it meant that they were very special. So the Hebrews had learned um, of, of, of God and he elevated them. Um, they learned about the elevated life that living under the law had afforded them. People think, well, you're living under that law. You can't do anything. Actually, the law elevates a nation. Uh, when we have standards, when we have God's standards um, to establish us, then we're elevated by those things. And because anything else uh, would take us down. So the Hebrews enjoyed that, that, that life, that knowledge, the life that was afforded to them by being this chosen nation. And we as believers, we have that same privilege. We've been afforded a life of grace and knowing God, knowing his word, having access to the prophecies, having access to just the, the daily truths that 
help us to make better decisions, to be better people, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And we get to live an elevated life. It doesn't matter what your social or economic status is. If you're associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're living this elevated life. Um, and these people, these Jews, experience that to a certain degree as well. So they've become more aware of the sinfulness of sin because of it. No longer did they see the mercy of the sacrifice, but instead they grew proud of the access they had to God. And they saw other nations as only fit to serve them. They were Gentile dogs. So this is the perception that overall the nation Israel had towards the Gentiles. And we can assume safely that Jonah would have also had this cultural perception of the Ninevites. So now Nineveh was particularly hated because they were a nation that was very much in contrast to Israel. As Israel learned order and government under the law and the care of God, Nineveh was unruly, an unruly mess of sin and degradation. That was Nineveh. So you can see why why uh, Jonah would look at them and kind of look down on them and be like, you want me to go minister to these people? God says, yes. Jonah most likely suffered personally from the hand of the Ninevites because they were, um, the Syrians were so closely related to the nation Israel. They weren't very far from the Northern kingdom and they often would attack the Northern kingdom and they'd make forays into the South. Um, we know of one in particular with Hezekiah during Hezekiah's reign and they were, you know, very arrogant, uh, people, um, brutal, and they were famous for their cruelty. So it's it's safe to assume that Jonah probably experienced some of that. And uh, the thought of leaving the comfort and security of the nation Israel and going into this land probably was not something that he looked forward to. Not only because they were cruel, but also because he hated them. You know, there's he had a hatred for particularly for the Ninevites. And I imagine that um, this is part of the motivation of why Jonah in verse 3 rose up and went to Tarshish. He went as far south as possible. So upon hearing the voice of the Lord, Jonah reacted to get as far away as possible. Now, I theorize that Jonah was laying on his bed because, you know, when you study the word... um, you pray about it. The Lord sometimes paints pictures for you to help you understand. Um, God, the Holy Spirit will do that for each of us. And so I, I see Jonah laying upon his bed, kind of struggling with the thoughts of the pain that Nineveh had caused him. Um, he would ask the Lord, how long until you make our enemies our footstool? How long until you exalt Israel above all the nations? Because Israel, that was their hope. That's still their hope. The millennial kingdom is the hope of every um, Old Testament saint. That's why they want to be buried in the land. Because when the Lord returns, he was going to resurrect them to enter into this millennial kingdom. 
and all the other nations would be subdued um, and become Israel's footstool. That's the way they interpreted the prophecies. Now, we know that that's not exactly the way it's going to work, that God is going to establish that kingdom. All other nations will bow down to Israel, but it will be because the Lord Jesus is there and he will make them a light, a righteous witness and testimony unto the world. But at this time, they focused on the fact that God was going to establish the kingdom and that they would be no longer have to worry about the assaults or the threat of nations like Nineveh. And I imagine Jonah was thinking that um, when he was lying there right before the Lord called him. And Jonah wanted revenge upon the nations. He wanted the fulfillment of the scriptures that told of Jesus coming, uh, the Savior, the Messiah, as a rod of iron and dashing the rulers of the nation in pieces at Psalm 2. So the Lord said, okay, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. So you would think, wow, I get to go cry against this nation. All right, that's now, now we're talking. So, so how do I know what Jonah was thinking? Am I just going, you know, completely rogue here? I'm not, because chapter four lays it out for both of us to see. In uh, chapter four, verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So um, this is this is the mindset of Jonah, that he was angry that God would send him to minister to these people. Jonah had basically an argument with God before leaving the Tarshish. So we get to see the part about God calling him, and then we just jump straight to verse three, where he runs away. But in between there, there was some discord, discourse between him and God. And they basically had an argument. And uh, Jonah was incensed. And I think he was angry because he heard the voice of the Lord telling him to go and witness to them. And he wanted the voice of the Lord to say, I'm just going to judge him. But he could hear in the compassion and the mercy and grace in God's voice, even in him telling him to go. And he knew, he knew because he experienced that grace and that mercy himself. Um, he says, my sheep know my voice. And so he was very angry at the thought that God might even remotely be thinking that he would extend any amount of grace to these people, his mercy to these people. So he was incensed by the probability of the Ninevites being offered this grace, even in the grace of God warning them, right? Because we have to see that, that that's, that's grace, that God would even warn them that the judgment is coming. And we miss that a lot of times, uh, these testimonies of God's grace and mercy to people. We just, you know, we, we read through too quickly instead of kind of chewing on the cud is what the word says, that we're to meditate upon the word and allow God the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and to show us things. So if Jonah's, in Jonah's opinion, they should have just been dealt with without mercy. Uh, just as they dealt with the, their enemies 
they trampled and they tortured them. The Assyrians were known to have delighted in providing torturous types deaths. You know, um, it appeased their lust for violence and their it was a perverse culture. And Jonah wanted them to get the same thing they dealt they dealt out to other people and to some of the nation Israel. He wanted them to get merciless, mercilessly destroyed. <laughs> That's what Jonah wanted. And I'm sure he was laying, imagining such things. So then God interjects. And we have to understand that as much as this is about Jonah and his ministry to Nineveh, it's it's also about God's ministry to Jonah. I feel like that's the primary focus of this account. Is There's so much here, but the primary focus is God is ministering to Jonah. So Jonah had these thoughts in his heart and his mind. And God has orchestrated through his providence and his sovereignty this situation that's going to ultimately minister not only to the Ninevites but specifically to Jonah and we have to kind of take a step back when we study the word and we have to yes understand what is God's intent what was his intent for the people who originally got the message what was his intent for the church as a whole? But never lose sight that when you study, there's a message for you. There's a message for me first. What is God speaking to me into my life, into my personal situation? Because God knows the private things that we face. He understands. And if you're not sharing those things and going to him and asking for grace and uh, direction, then you're basically um, hurting yourself because we have that. We have that kind of access to God. He knows where no one else will know. You can't figure it out on your own, but he can lead and guide you in a way that will minister to you. Um, and show you what it is that you need to see in every situation. So that's ultimately what the book of Jonah is about. And God has started that ministry here to Jonah. It says uh, in verse 4-2 to continue uh, showing us kind of what Jonah's attitude was. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. And he talking about Jonah, prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. So this is why he ran in the first place, because he didn't want to witness to these people. And him and God had this exchange, and he said, you know, I don't want to witness to them. I don't want them to have grace. You know, how amazing are the contrasts in these first three verses? You know, there's so many contrasts between. And I think that Jonah's account is a an account of contrast. And I'll try to point that out as we go. But it's just amazing to see initially just in these first three verses. Uh, one, Nineveh, a great city of godless people who the tr true and living God has chosen to send his prophet Jonah with a message of destruction. 
two, Jonah, the prophet of God, who rebels against the grace and the love that has become so common to him that he reacts like a only child that's so spoiled that he doesn't want to share his toys with anyone. You know, that's his response. And three, we have God with a message for both the Ninevites and the prophet bringing together events that are so significant in the lives of all involved, you know, that events that will have implications well into eternity, even affecting us right now in the church age. Uh, Jonah is an amazing book. So uh, next time we'll begin with the, you know, verse four of chapter one, and hopefully we'll see some very awesome things, the awesomeness of God, his love, his sovereignty, the power of God. Um, hopefully we'll see how that the great lengths that God will go to manifest his love and providence to his people. That's, that's what's before us. Um, this is the first part, part one, I would say, of the lesson to the prophet. And it's part one to the lesson for us, um, sin is a problem. It's a problem that has plagued man uh, since the beginning, and it will continue to be a problem until the Lord comes and he makes a new heaven and a new earth. Sin is so prevalent, um, such a prevalent disease that it's even affected heaven. So God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to deal with this problem once and for all. And we have the earnest of that truth in God, the Holy Spirit, to guide and lead us and to protect us from all that sin would potentially do in our lives. And here we see Jonah affected by that same problem, the prophet of God. And so let's uh, let's examine closely how God dealt with him and learn from the way God dealt with him and go to the Lord and ask him to deal with us in a way that would um, teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's close. Father, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for this account and the things that you're going to show us um, in these verses. Thank you for what you've shown us already, your grace your readiness to uh, extend mercy, the kindness that you've shown unto Jonah in uh, giving him this opportunity to minister and also using the situations to minister to Jonah as well as to all those around him. Father, we pray that we would be effective ministers on your behalf that you would continue to make us to grow in grace and that you would glorify yourself in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.